passage that I'm going to start with today, and I'm going to also repeat it again, but my message today is titled, Family, What Does It Mean? If you'd like to follow along with me in your Bibles, the scripture, again, is Matthew 12, 46 through 50. It says, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You know, many times we may question what the word family really means. In Matthew, Jesus wanted to point out that the true family of Jesus is anyone that would do the will of his father. As a mother, I need to keep my focus on the responsibilities of being a mother and not be distracted by things of the world. Some of those things could be keeping too busy, whether it's working or volunteering or even putting myself first. Life involves many sacrifices. Just think about the greatest and true sacrifice that God made by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. By keeping my focus on God and his word, I will be able to be the mother wife, and grandmother that he desires me to be. To be considered a mother or father, does it have to be biological? Everyone has a birth mother or father somewhere, but many also have adoptive parents or maybe an adult in their lives that has made a huge impact on them as they've grown up. As a young mother, I had a responsibility for each baby that God gave me. What was that responsibility? Was it just to change diapers, to feed them, to love them? As parents, we would sometimes laugh and say, it sure would be nice to have a manual, a step-by-step instruction for raising kids like we do to fix a car or make a meal or sew some clothes. But without truly realizing it, We did. We had the Bible. God's word has everything that we could possibly need to guide us in raising our kids, to be a great husband or wife, a great friend or co-worker. Everything. If we just take the time to read God's word, study it, and apply it, those are the keys. And I can honestly say that I did not dig into God's word as I should have, and at times I still don't. But how much better everything goes if we do. As parents, do we sometimes feel like we're failing? When our children make wrong choices, immediately we evaluate what mistakes that we've made in the past, whether it's mistakes from our own life's choices or mistakes in what we taught or neglected to teach our kids. We need to remember what is past is past in God's eyes if we ask him to forgive us and lead us. And there was a time that 
things would bother me that I would feel that maybe I should have done something different with my kids. And I had called my friend Nancy in Bedette and, and told her of my frustration. And she said, you know, she said, Faye, you did the best that you knew how at that time because you were trusting God. So you can't blame yourself for things in the past that may have not been the perfect choice, but you did the best. And in Romans 8, 1 through 3a, he tells us there is no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And by having her say those words and reading the scripture, it just really took a lot of weight off my shoulders because I was blaming myself for maybe the things that I didn't even know at that time that I should have done or maybe that I did do, but I'd ask God to forgive me. So as we ask him to forgive us, he is ready and longs to lead us in the right direction. We can look ahead and pray for his guidance and power. After Christ died on the cross and was resurrected, he sent us the Holy Spirit to guide us, to counsel us, and give us the power to be who God wants us to be. John 14, 15 through 7 quotes Jesus as saying, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives in you and will be in you. In other words, if we have received Christ as our Savior, he's given us the Holy Spirit. We don't even have to ask. We've got it. If we've accepted Christ into our heart, we have the Holy Spirit. And that just amazes me. It's just wow. I mean, we have the power through the Holy Spirit if we just ask him. And who can't use help? I know I can daily as a wife, a mother, and a grandmother. Only God can give us that unconditional love for others that Christ has for us. As parents, should we accept everything that our children do? No. But sometimes it can be hard to separate what they do and who they are. God loves us unconditionally. Even though he may not be pleased with our actions, he still loves us. We must pray daily for our families and search our hearts for anything that may be displeasing to the Lord so he can work in our lives. I'm going to read from 2 Timothy 1, 5 through 8a. It says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, which means fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, how can we possibly be ashamed to talk about God if he has all of that to us? We really need to consider that and pray for strength. 
In this scripture, it talks about Timothy and the godly influences in his life. He had his mother Eunice and grandmother Lois, who were believers, and brought Timothy up to be a Christian. Eunice, his mother, had become a convert to Christianity, and his father was thought not to be a Christian. As hard as that situation may have been then and still is today, she remained faithful to God. The impact that we all have in our homes or with our friends is great. To live and lead by example is so important. We must not be swayed by fear of man, worrying about our friends, our family, or neighbors, what they may think of us. Don't hide our light. Let our friends and family know of our faith in Christ, but be sure that they also see the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in our lives. Galatians 5, 22 through 26 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Can we produce these characteristics all on our own? As the scripture says, we can achieve them through the Holy Spirit that dwells in you and I as Christians. Sean, I have a slide I'd like you to put up. I have a comparison that I'd like to bring up on the screen that I'd like you to consider. The wrong desires versus the fruit of the Spirit. Our wrong desires are evil. The fruit of the Spirit is good. Our wrong desires are destructive. But the fruit of the Spirit is productive. Our wrong desires are easy to ignite. The fruit of the Spirit is difficult to ignite. Our wrong desires are difficult to stifle, and the fruit of the Spirit is easy to stifle. Our wrong desires are self-centeredness. The fruit of the Spirit is self-giving. Our wrong desires are oppressive and possessive. The fruit of the Spirit is liberating and nurturing. Our wrong desires are decadent. The fruit of the Spirit is uplifting. Our wrong desires are deadly, and the fruit of the Spirit is abundant life. Now, who would, which column would you guys choose? It looks like a no-brainer, but we still all struggle with it. The will of the Holy Spirit is in constant opposition to our sinful desires. The two are on opposite sides of the spiritual battle, and yes, we all have spiritual battles. It's easy to get caught up in the externals. Beware of those who emphasize actions that we should or shouldn't do with no concern about the inward condition of our hearts. Living a good life without an inward change leads to a shallow or empty spiritual walk. What matters to God is that we are changed from the inside out, 
2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Then the fruit of the Spirit will be evident. As Christians, we still have the capacity to sin, but we have been set free from sin's power over us and no longer have to give in to it. So ask the Holy Spirit to help you in your relationships every day. As you do, it will get easier. A few weeks ago, Chuck and I read a devotion in Scripture that really spoke to us, and I'd like to share that with you. And it's based on Ephesians 6, 2, and 3, which is on honoring your father and mother. And it's kind of between Mother's Day and Father's Day, so kind of pull it in there. It's called the Forgotten Commandment, Honor Your Father and Mother. Honoring your parents is a command for children of all ages. There is no exception clause in this command that exempts the adult child from responsibility. I can almost sense you squirming in your seat. Honoring your parents seems pretty risky. Let me take a few moments to tell you what honoring parents is and what it isn't. Honoring your parents does not mean endorsing irresponsibility or sin. It is not a denial of what they have done wrong as parents. It does not mean you flatter them by emotionally stuffing the mistakes they've made or denying the emotional or even the physical pain that they may have caused you. For an adult child, honoring your parents will not place you back under their authority. It does not give them access to manipulate you. It doesn't mean crawling back into the cradle and becoming a helpless child again. Honoring your parents does mean choosing to place a great value on your relationship with them. It means taking the initiative to improve the relationship. It means obeying them until you establish yourself as an adult. Honoring your parents means recognizing what they've done right in your life. Honoring your parents means recognizing the sacrifices that they have made for you. Honoring your parents means praising them for the legacy that they are passing on to you. And honoring your parents means seeing them through the eyes of Christ with understanding and compassion. Honoring your parents means forgiving them as Christ has forgiven us. It's an attitude accompanied by actions that say to your parents, you are worthy, you have value, you are the person God sovereignly placed in my life. And Ephesians 6, 2, 3 also has a second part to that. It says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, because it says that it may be well with you. None of the other ten commandments has a promise attached to it. But how will it be well with you when you honor your parents? I believe one profound reason is that it helps you finish the process of growing into adulthood. A part of maturing as an adult is the growing realization and conviction that you now share with your parents the responsibility for the relationship. For most of your 18 to 20 years of life, your relationship with your parents could be compared to a one-way street. Your mother nursed you and changed your diapers. Your father walked the floor with you at 2 a.m. She taught you how to walk. He taught you how to ride a bike. The traffic of love generally flowed in one direction. 
from them to you, and it probably remained that way through high school and college. The problem with some parent-child relationships, however, is that they continue looking like a one-way street, even when the child is in his 30s and 40s. And then you begin hearing those famous words, my parents don't treat me like an adult. Diane lived in the same town as her mother, but it all seemed so strained and shallow. She still treated me and my other siblings a lot like kids, she said, and I felt a lack of respect. Her feelings began to change shortly after she heard the idea of writing a written document, a tribute for her parents. She spent time remembering the good things that they had done for her, and slowly her perspective changed. To Diane's surprise, her mother immediately broke down in tears as she read the tribute. I think part of the problem was she didn't feel any respect and appreciation from her kids. The tribute allowed Diane and her mother to set aside their arguments and begin building their relationships. I felt like I was more on mom's level. I was able to relate to her more, and it was sort of a rite of passage. It really made me stop and think when we did that because how many times, you know, once even, you know, though our parents might not be living anymore, we need to take that into account and acknowledge it. And I'd like to leave you with this. Ask God to flood your mind with memories of what your mom or dad or special person in your life did right in raising you. Don't focus on the bad. Write them down like a tribute to them. Then, would you consider sharing those thoughts with them? It could change both of your lives. Okay, thank you. Um, I'd like to close now with the closing hymn. Everybody would like to stand. It's page 303.
Father, we just thank you so much for this day you've given us together and just pray that you'll guide each one of us as we leave today and we just praise you for your love and your holiness. In Jesus' name, amen.